Jordan, it's good to be here. Good to see you again, Carl. Talking again and visiting and, uh, you know, every time that we get a chance to talk and visit and hang out, I always leave with my head spinning with all this great information. Um, so I'm really, I've been looking forward to getting together with you as I always do. In our first video, we were talking about attention, mm -hmm. how we were relating it to um, overall well-being and performance enhancement. And then uh, I have some notes here. So okay. today I'd like to go a little deeper. Um, we've talked about a lot of this off camera, but it's so powerful. I really want to share it with people and get them thinking about what you've got me thinking about. It's helped me so much. Um, barriers to entry. Um, and then just distraction in general in a couple different subcategories. For example, external and then internal. Mm -hmm. Can we just start with one of those? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. um, well, again, last the last time we did talk about internal and external attention and, and the fact that the field could be very wide and expansive or it can be very narrow. And mm -hmm. so we're going to couch that, um, that focal point a little bit just for a moment and really just for, focus on the internal and external. But I'm going to interrupt for one second because I have a link going across the screen that links to the first video we oh, did perfect. so that they can take a look. Be sure to check that out and then come back and see this because uh, <laughs> this is kind of a piggyback on a lot of that. So, right. Okay, go perfect. ahead. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, so, so with that and being able to allocate attention, whether it's internal or external, some things arise. If we decide that we're going to allocate our attention to one specific focus, is it always easy to keep your attention on that one specific focus or does the attention maybe have a tendency to wander? And then again, talking about this distraction, well, external distraction is, is quite easy to, to recognize. We know that if something crosses our visual field, it might distract us in some sort of way. But the more interesting one to me, humbly, is internal distraction. And what I mean by internal distraction is... In, in part, the thoughts that might, that might arise in, in our mind when we're um, in the middle of an interview and maybe making a judgment about what we're saying, that's a distracting thought. Can I come back to the present moment of what I'm actually trying to com right. communicate to you in the audience? Mm -hmm. And then a second type of distraction would be... And a distraction that's a little stickier. Ooh, actually, that WD forty, that, <laughs> that WD forty up there is up there for a reason. <laughs> because okay, so there's a thought, but then if a thought is really sticky, it's got yeah. like an extra emotion attached to it, and that extra emotion attached to it actually um, activates some different parts of our brain called the limbic system. Mm -hmm. Part of the limbic system, there's a little. Uh, P-like shaped structure called the amygdala, okay. and this is this is kind of like the fire alarm in the brain. So that if mm -hmm. something happens and I need to freak out for a moment, my amygdala is going to let me know. So in terms of coming back to the internal distraction, I can have the internal distraction of simply being a thought or some. Um, Something that's not in alignment with what I'm trying to either communicate. If this is, um, if I'm, if I'm presenting something, if mm -hmm. it's not in alignment with where I need to be keeping my focus. If I'm an athlete, if I'm a student and I can't focus on on my exam. Again, these are external, these are internal thoughts that are that are coming to complicate my ability to focus. Mm -hmm. 
And again, the sticky thoughts are the ones that are um, a little bit harder to, to bring attention back from distraction and back into a, a focused moment. So I, I actually experience this often. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, um, well, I'm just going to go with the flow here. We were talking earlier about, uh, this is kind of an, it starts as an external extraction, a distraction maybe, mm-hmm. but it becomes internal when you start thinking about checking your email, mm-hmm. checking your texts, checking your Facebook, mm-hmm. posting on Facebook, sending the email, Instagram, I don't do much with that, but still, you know, I know there are people who are really into a lot of those things. Uh, I can speak to email, Facebook, and texting. Mm-hmm. They're things that I do every single day. And um, it starts as external because it's just there, but then it becomes, you know, my phone's not on right now. Well, it is, but it's silent. <laughs> but, you know, I find myself thinking about, hmm, I think I need to check. Somebody like might need something or I might need to communicate. Would you consider that like an internal? Because even though the phone's not in my hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, we've, this is a really good lead into talking about the relationship that we create to things. So we've created almost an addictive relationship to our ability to communicate. Not really. It's just this is this device that yes does connect us because actually every time we see we see a text message from loved ones or from someone that we want to hear from, mm-hmm. our brain gets a little squirt of dopamine. That's our reward system. So we get rewarded every time we actually see something on our phone. So then we crave that, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's the neurological underpinning to why we crave that and why we create an addictive habit. Mm-hmm. That addictive habit, we can choose to recognize it. Number one is recognize it. Okay, so I have this addictive habit. What Mm -hmm. what am I going to do with it? First of all, I'm going to recognize it. And that's the first step in in all of this this training of mind is recognize always comes first. And then to create a little bit of awareness around the fact that when you you were around the word Instagram, you went like this. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, I don't even use it that much, but I... I, uh... I know a lot of people who do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a judgment, it's just a fact. But, you know, I use Facebook a lot. I'm trying mm-hmm. to post, I try to keep it to um, what I feel is uh, maybe of interest to people. Mm-hmm. You know, some of it's silly personal mm-hmm. stuff, like, you know, my first subway ride or something like that, <laughs> just to get a few laughs. <laughs> but, um, but I still find myself with, uh, especially texts, and emails that, because um, you know, my clients and me, we communicate by text, so mm-hmm. like family, um, friends, it's like everybody. Mm-hmm. But the texting is replacing email. I don't, I'm not as good with emails as I used to be, but I still have it on the phone and I'm still <laughs> using it. And I, I'm a little slower at email, I don't know why, but, um, and I feel the need to check it still mm-hmm. and respond. But it's, it actually is distracting sometimes. To me, like not sometimes, but fairly often. You know, I'm at, when I'm at work training clients, the mm-hmm. phone is in the locker and I'll bring it on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with that, but as soon as that client's done, bam, gotta go check. Because who knows, you know, I mean, maybe there's an issue to deal with. Maybe a client's late, maybe they're not coming. 
Um, you're actually, you're, you're pointing to something that we talked a little bit about uh, the last time, which was I have a default mode of my brain, which basically is what you're, what you're pointing to in terms of, wait, and then I gotta go do this, and then I gotta check this person, and what if this person is worried about me because they haven't heard about me? What about the snowstorm that we're gonna experience right now? Do I need to look up a place to yeah. stay? Um, so, so there's the default mode of, of the brain. However, where training comes in to increase the power and intensity of our ability to focus is in such a way to say, all right, well, actually, a friend of yours, I think they, they allocated a specific amount of time for me to mentally train and practice with focus. I'm going to see what happens to my internal landscape and mm. my level of anxiety when I remove the, the distracting factor here. What happened to that individual when he, when he removed that, well, yeah. his, his connection, their connection to, uh, to Facebook and social media? His name is Rich Roll. Oh, okay. And he is uh, an author, uh, an athlete. Uh, he's actually, um, Aaron Drogoseski was telling me that Rich is uh, ranked as one of the top 25 fittest people in the world. No way! Yeah, it's actually quite amazing. But um, he posted a couple of days ago on Facebook, um, I think it was Monday night. This is my first day of a 30-day experiment where I remove all social media and email from my phone. And so he's posting this on Facebook saying, I realize I'm posting this on social media, but I'm doing it from my computer at night after one, like, 12, 13, 14 hour day with none of it on my phone. Mm -hmm. And he said, this has been an absolutely terrible day. <laughs> Which I find is really interesting because uh, I, I've had... I remember one day at work, I, I left my phone somewhere. I was in the office, and I forgot I had set it down. And when I got back out on the floor, a client for an hour, and I go back to my locker and look at my, for my phone, and it's not there, and this separation, this separation anxiety hit big time. Oh, no! Where is my phone? I have to check my... It was in the office, but I didn't remember leaving it there. But of course, I found it, and but I can't believe how powerful it is, and I feel almost guilty about that. Like it's kind of like this is stupid, but we set ourselves up, and other people too, mm -hmm. when they learn to expect us to respond within a certain amount of time. If we always take two hours to respond, they're not their feelings aren't hurt if we don't respond in five minutes. But if we respond in five minutes or two minutes, and we wait two hours. <laughs> They're having anxiety. Mm. It's I think interesting. It is. It is interesting, and I think we we've in part created that by our culture and mm. our present society. However, first of all, I applaud your buddy for for sticking to it because I'm sure there are a lot of these internal distractions that were coming to make the most horrible day ever for him. And again, what made the most horrible day ever for him was possibly this anxiety that he felt throughout the day or whatever it was. I don't want to put emotions in his in his body and mind, but um, I applaud his ability to, to, to hold off. But what I also applaud is the ability to have practice time with practicing um, the, the, the focus network and actually being able to say, I'm going to allocate and discipline myself to have this amount of time for social media, for 
business for marketing purposes, for whatever those purposes may be, to strengthen yeah. that ability. It's an interesting post, too. I'll have to uh, share it with you. But he, he had talked about how over time he had felt that um, the gradual uh, buildup of using it more, mm -hmm. texting, mm -hmm. email, social media, mm -hmm. you know, Facebook in particular, but other stuff, too, was actually taking away from his ability to be present with people. Mm -hmm. And he felt like he wasn't there for the people for everybody the way he should be there mm -hmm. and be present for them and pay attention and focus mm -hmm. and so um, you know I can relate to that because the distraction is can be pretty big mm -hmm. so there's ways to use distraction so mm -hmm. um, his, his first effort in this was to remove the distraction completely mm -hmm. So whether and he he was completely aware of the fact that some some things arose in him that were quite quite difficult and uncomfortable. Yeah. So his next challenge, perhaps if he so chooses, is to is to start to create a relationship around that feeling of discomfort when this this object of attachment he was he was attached in and he mm -hmm. this object of desire. That really, we've all created an addiction around being able to do this. What happens when that addiction is is actually removed? Mm -hmm. So we start to feel these these feelings of anxiety. That can teach us very, very, very many things about ourselves and our own patterns. So that eventually we can put the distraction back into the field of internal or external awareness, whatever it may be, and then actually use it for grist for the mill, for actually being able to select relevant cues in the environment and still be exposed to it, but not be distracted by it. So again, the distraction at first is just that, a distraction. We remove the distraction, it becomes a source of anxiety. We get to create a relationship with that anxiety and it starts to teach us some things because mm -hmm. we become wise to our own patterns. Then we place the distraction back in our attentional field and actually use it as, abil as our ability to pay attention to relevant cues. Um. I'm with you on everything you just said, and it just prompted a thought. Oh, good. <laughs> which we talked about off camera, but I'm actually, this is, I'm totally just thinking out loud. Mm -hmm. Talking about cortisol. Let's talk about cortisol. <laughs> because now it, got, it gets me thinking if maybe all these distractions and the anxiety that is created by you know, what we set ourselves up for uh, anxiety-wise um, is part of our epidemic of maybe obesity or being overweight, could, could there be a connection in the fact that we're pr producing a hormone that, what do you think about that? Well, I think that, I mean, the, the age-old description here is that, you know, our, our stressors are now different than they were many years ago. Mm -hmm. Many people are not moving. So these stress hormones are actually a protective mechanism. That fear from the, the amygdala that we talked about earlier, that alarm system in your brain, these are actually protective mechanisms. They exist to keep us alive, <laughs> to run from tigers if we need to run from tigers, but we don't need to run from tigers anymore. Our stressors are more psychological stressors, like that anxiety, that separation anxiety yeah. that yeah. that we experience or you put the put put whatever you want to put in there in terms yeah. of the 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 challenge the mental challenge for you but 
still the stress response is the same, which in my opinion is adding to this autonomic dysregulation. So we talked mm, about... Yes. Yeah. That's, right, that's right here. <laughs> so... And yeah. I wanted to cover that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because it is it is really important. So. Powerful. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we're we're really good at activating our sympathetic nervous system. So, a, a brief overview. I'm focusing right now on the branch of our involuntary nervous system, our autonomic nervous system. That autonomic nervous system has two branches. One of them is the sympathetic, that helps me run from the tiger, mm-hmm. which they're they're. I don't. I see an elephant over there. Yeah. I mean, there are no, there are no, there are no tigers for us to run from. And then if we're sedentary all day, we're not using. that extra extra that extra energy that comes from the sympathetic nervous system unless of course we are trained by our, our wonderful trainers at uh, independent training studio <laughs> yeah the independent training spot yes. spot yes. Um, so so then so then if we're not training effectively then we don't give enough time for our autonomic nervous system to kick in with a parasympathetic tone mm-hmm. and that parasympathetic tone actually brings us back to balance and really I mean Simply stated, interval training is a really great way to bring heart rate back down to baseline level before I jump in and I excite it sympathetically up again. And then I have a parasympathetic tone that brings me back to my rest state. So I have this undulation mm-hmm. in my nervous system of going back and forth between sympathetic drive yeah. and and really parasympathetic drive. So I'm toning both sides of the both sides of the nervous system and 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 not. Um, not succumbing to uh, only producing and only toning the the sympathetic, which, again, so there's a way to integrate it into exercise, Mm -hmm. but then there's also the way to integrate it into daily living in my off days, and a lot of elite athletes don't take, I have trouble taking rest days. Right, right. So those rest days are there for a reason. That rest is there for a reason, and it is to tone the ever-important parasympathetic nervous system, which is why we are a culture of exhaust, stress and exhaustion. True. That is, yeah, that's... Actually, that brings up another point that I want to ask what you. What do you want to ask me? Yes, I have, I have a question, but first of all, you teach at the Swedish Institute. I do. Right? And what do you teach? I teach a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There's a, there's a... I have a... I'm going to get to my question after okay. you answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I teach in their advanced personal training department. Mm-hmm. And I was first brought on to teach a pathology and neurology class. And then that turned into motor learning, which is amazing. Um, and then this term, teaching advanced exercise testing. Um, I've taught exercise testing and prescription. And one of my... My baby is professional development, so um, I've been in the industry for a little bit of time, <laughs> um, and I've seen a lot of different sides of it. So, however, I can use my experiences uh, mm-hmm. just to to help um, others think about their direction in this mm-hmm. field is my greatest passion and greatest honor. Yeah, well, I, and I know you're really, really good at what you do. Um, so, with that said, because I wanted people to know what you mm-hmm. where you you know what you do and where you're doing that mm-hmm. um, but you've uh, you you help clients mm-hmm. you 
you treat people, you're treating the whole person. When you approach somebody, you're looking at the whole person. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole student, right? Because oh. you're teaching, so you're looking at the whole student. Mm -hmm. So my question is, <laughs> after all that, um, <laughs> We have all these different areas that we try, uh, as trainers, mm -hmm. at least you and I do, I know, we have a lot in common how we want to uh, treat our people and help our people is, you know, we have the physical side of uh, whatever it is mm -hmm. they're looking for in personal training. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, you know, the mental side. We, we each want to help people and mm -hmm. bringing out more out of them, uh, helping them believe they can do things that they don't think they can do, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but also, we can give advice sometimes, you know, it could be nutritional, along with all that other stuff, but how do you, do you talk with your people about anxiety and any kind of, uh, any methods of management? Mm, awesome question. That's my question. So two After all that, that's my question. <laughs> well, that's one of my questions. Well, I'm really glad that there was the all of that, because that gave me an opportunity to listen to what was coming up for me as you were speaking, and... Um, thank you for asking me about what I teach because professional development is one of the things that I do teach and we're very clear with what is inside of the scope of our practice and what is outside of the scope of practice. So um, while I do have a master's degree in sport and exercise psychology, not, not all trainers do. Um, however, um, advice giving and... Um, mental management is not necessarily explicitly the forefront of what I of what I say I do. Mm -hmm. It kind of takes an implicit stance in the in in my personal training practice. Mm -hmm. So hey, we're personal trainers, we need to have a personality and, and part of that is that your clients are going to tell you about a little bit of life stuff. True. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. We right? hear about it. <laughs> Us and the, uh, and the people. I was just thinking about that. We're like, you know, the, the hairdressers. I mean, they, they hear the stuff. Right. We hear stuff. Right. So there's ways, just like we use economy of words in our cueing, there's also ways to use economy of words in speaking to some of these um, mental constructs and mm -hmm. the specific mental construct that you just asked about was was anxiety and as you asked me about that specific construct of anxiety what came up for me and what always comes up for me when I'm in a personal training and, and even in a group training setting uh, whether it be a classroom or or in a corporate environment is what are what shapes the environment what is the performance environment like and so how am I going to make this skill of managing anxiety the most transferable to the performance or the, the daily life? I need to know what that performance is like and what that daily life is so that I can apply the management and technique uniquely and effectively for either the group or the individual. Mm -hmm. So, with that... Again, we create relationships with our clients, and there may be an interpersonal issue that is that is arising for a client at any particular mm -hmm. point in time. If it's enough to grab their attention away from the physical work that we're doing, which physical work has a tendency to liberate some emotive things. <laughs> it does. <laughs> 
and and so so then there's a choice do I use do I do I use that and turn into do I turn into that and do I explore around that or do I actually call that out of my scope of practice and drop and give me however many push-ups or do a couple burpees or have a work in Turkish get-ups or what, whatever, whatever we're actually doing. Um, so there's the choice on the part of the trainer to either use it as an object of attention or am I, am I choosing to work with this person's anxiety right now? In which case, what is the beautiful link between what's happening here and what's happening here? What's happening in my, in my autonomic nervous system is my breath. What is happening with my breath at any particular point in time? Mm -hmm. and, and so starting to help clients draw attention to these little self-regulation techniques. Um, and, and whether it's a client or a student, I just had a, uh, or, or a fellow teacher. Mm -hmm. I just had a conversation with a teacher today, maybe you'll interview her at some point, <laughs> about difficult, difficult students. Mm -hmm. And what they do to us as teachers and the fact that they can be really great great teachers to us because they help with this self-regulation which again has nor neural correlates in the brain I'll leave that for the brain scientists for now but it's it's the process of self-regulation so whether it's a difficult client whether it's a difficult student whether the whether the client is going through a, a difficult time what we can reinforce is the self-regulation process. The place that I always like to start, whether we're sitting in mental training or moving in mental training, is really the breath because it links physiology and really what's going on. I remember you mentioning that in our first yeah. session together. Yeah, Probably. yeah, about the breath. No, it's it's. I, I'm glad you repeated it because mm. I might not have thought of it again right away. It's right under our nose. Yeah, it is literally. <laughs> But it's, I, and you know, sometimes the things that are right underneath of our noses are, we, we, we miss them, but I, it yeah. is, it is so important. Actually, one of, a client of mine, he's got a lot of dysfunction up in his shoulder, and I, I really think a lot of it stems from dysfunctional breathing. Mm. Wow. So, so, um, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned this possibility of shoulder dysfunction, mm. possibly relative to breathing. So I'm going to just take a left turn. I don't want to avoid that if you want to keep um, on that subject. But I want to make sure I mention that I would really like to talk about um, this whole pain and the brain. Pain and the, and the brain uh -huh. and the connection. So I'm going to let you run with this on whatever path you want to go. If you want to talk about shoulder dysfunction and the breathing. But we, I want to get into this brain pain connection. Okay, cool. Um, so actually, I, I'm just going to piggyback right off of where we were with the anxiety component mm -hmm. and actually go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation when we talked about the amygdala as being the, the, the fire alarm in the brain. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I just made mention of fear and anxiety, and I'm going to throw into that fear and anxiety, I'm going to add an element of pain. And so there's a couple of different ways of understanding, of understanding pain. And um, I'm not going to speak specifically to any, any one condition because mm -hmm. that's up to a client-trainer relationship. So mm -hmm. I'm going to keep my relationship with my client anonymous in this particular moment. Mm -hmm. But what I am going to speak to is maybe just a little bit of a shift in the way that we approach it. So 
we can approach our awareness of pain as we do in Neuro 101 <laughs> from what happens in, in periphery, travels to the spinal cord, goes up the spinal cord and into the brain and then projects in, in other areas in the brain. Okay, so, so we got that. That's kind of like in some ways a, a bottom-up pathway. Mm -hmm. And then in neurology, we all know that that's our afferent system, and then right. we have our sensory afferent system, which happens to be called the nociceptive system, mm -hmm. if we're talking about pain. Well, then there's also the top-down effect, and it can that top-down effect can be from outer cortical layers of the brain, or simply, in, in this case that I'm speaking of, is from the brain back down and, and, and out to the periphery. Yeah, okay. So, again, I'm going to let the neuroscientists be very specific to, to the exact areas in the brain that um, might create this neuro tag in the brain of, um, of specifical cortical and subcortical. Cortical is the cortex, is the bark of my brain. Subcortical is the stuff that's below that. I do have a brain around here somewhere. Um, <laughs> um, so, so there's a couple of things that actually happen. There's the physical sensation that goes up to the brain, but then there's also this limbic system, this emotive component. So we create a, a way of relating to something that is uncomfortable. Just like, again, cycling back to this anxiety of removing the cell phone, removing mm -hmm. the distraction. But what I find when I remove the distraction is that I actually am very uncomfortable and I have this anxiety. Same, so whether you're using pain, whether you're using anxiety, it's this discomfort. I'm just going to normalize and neutralize it and call it discomfort. Mm -hmm. So where the education takes place is in creating a new relationship to this thing that I... I, I, I don't want to go make it make it go away make it stop which actually it's not going to go away and it's not going to stop because I'm going to continue to activate the sympathetic nervous system which is going to increase my sensitivity to that pain so again where where's the work the work is in first always 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 if I had a principle to say what number one was I would call it awareness so I have awareness of this uncomfortable situation, be it pain, be it anxiety, be it fear, etc. Is this adaptive? Do I need to run from something or am I about to am I about to am I too deep in some sort of in some sort of exercise that I'm doing and I'm about to pull some tendon away from the bone? I mean right. it's there for a reason. So number one, is it adaptive? Is it, That's a good point. Mm. Is it adaptive? Yeah, mm -hmm. I like that. Because this is about creating a wise relationship to pain. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily where I'm going with this overriding situation. It's not to say I'm going to plow through it and push through it like my elite athletes would, like my military personnel would. Mm -hmm. There's another way of relating to pain, which is not a hypersensitive way mm -hmm. of relating to pain, but also not a very well-educated way of, of relating to pain. So where's the happy medium? Right. And, and the happy medium, again, is, is recognizing the sensation, and then... There's this little component that is that is associated with with the physical sensation of pain, and it usually has a story around it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any old injuries? Me? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Elbow. Elbow. Broken elbow. Broken elbow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, do you ever feel it while while you're while you're training? 
Yeah. 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 Okay, and, and while you feel it when you're training, and this maybe makes a little bit more sense to do in, in a mental training exercise, but for, for the sake of time right now, when when you do feel it, does the st- how did you... How did you? I wish I had a slid into home base that day and hyperextended and sat on my elbow. <laughs> okay. Okay. So does no, but it, it 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 just it just it's very pointed. The bone is misshapen, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's it's fine. It's functional. It mm-hmm. just hurts, mm-hmm. but I, I deal with it. There are some days it really hurts quite a lot if I'm doing push-ups or, or anything that involves pushing. Mm-hmm. Pulling doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Pushing anything pushing, mm-hmm. not all the time, but. When it's going to hurt, pushing mm-hmm. hurts. Mm-hmm. And the story, um, the connection I feel with that is uh, just that it's a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. And I wish it wasn't there. And I wish it wasn't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so again, there's the, there's the component of it arising, and then there's the story that's attached, that's attached with it. Mm-hmm. And how much we elaborate on that story that's attached with it, that's optional. That part is optional. Yeah, that just reminded me of something. What's that? Have that been, um, we're going, just going with the flow here. We're using distraction yeah. for an advantage to illuminate the conversation yeah. a little yeah. bit more realistically. Well, you know, I went through this education, a uh, couple of seminars with this um, outfit. They're called Landmark Education. Oh, yeah. The forum. Sure. And we have what happened... And the story you create around what happened. Ah. Like it could be an event mm-hmm. in your life where mm-hmm. somebody said this to me and they called me that. And then that's what actually happened. Okay. <laughs> then there's all the meaning that you gave to it that just drove you on this path. It could be you didn't give it much meaning or no meaning maybe and you're fine. It could be that you made it mean so much in maybe a negative way that you just set yourself up for all kinds of issues whenever that comes from anywhere else in your life, mm-hmm. even remotely. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me of, of the what actually happened and the story you would give to it and the meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about it as far as the physical and the physical realm. Like we were talking primarily emotions in the forum. Let's talk about that physical side. Sure. So, um, so we were talking about elbow pain. We're talking about shoulder pain. We're talking about what's inside of the scope of our practice as personal trainers. We, this is, um, and I mean, I, I know that not everybody watching is a personal trainer, but as a, as a, um, as our field of personal trainers. The one thing to note is that this physical pain that we experience actually travels somewhat of the same the same pathway that social pain travels, more so um, in the central nervous in in the brain. So, not um, not sensory systems. However, when it ends in the brain, it does end in this in the same systems of pain. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, there's no wonder that when there might be physical pain, there might be some self-talk that arises mm-hmm. due to that physical pain. And again, how, how, are we, how are we using attention right now? So t- attention number two is, yeah, there's in t- uh, there is attention, internal, external, wide, narrow. So right now we're in an internal focus with ourselves. And... How are we choosing to, to use our attention right now? There's skillful and unskillful and wise and unwise ways to use it. 
Um, but again, am I going to choose to pay attention to, to the discomfort that I might be feeling, the physical sensation, and oversensitize it because of the story that's attached to it? Or again, am I going to recognize that there's a story attached to it, come back to this present moment of just sensing the pain? I remember I was giving a, a lecture on pain to the neuro students at Swedish, and I ride my bike around the city, and it was like the coldest day so far of the year, and I was unlocking my chain. Um, I was unlocking my chain from, from the bike rack, and I didn't have gloves. <laughs> I'm just like I was emotional over this just now. Yeah. I didn't I didn't have gloves with me, and you know that process where your hands just get so frozen yeah. that at some point like you can't feel it anymore. And then once they start to warm up, you can start to feel your hands again, and it's just like excruciating. Like it's really it painful. Can be painful. <laughs> it can be kind yeah. of painful. So in the moment that I realized I was going to give a lecture on pain, I was like, okay. This is just a sensation right now. I started to, I don't like the cold weather. I don't like it. I want it to go away. I'm not excited about the snow that's out there right now. So I have this, I have this emotional response to, to cold weather. So I recognized those things coming up and then I said, all right, I'm going to work with this. I'm going to simply pay attention to the sensation that's arising instead of paying attention to the burning hands falling off of my appendages right now. And again, it created a new experience. It created a, a, new, um, a new opportunity for me. It created a new choice so that I could relate to pain in a different way instead of the, I hate the cold weather and all the rest of the story that goes along with the pain, with the fear, the anxiety, the, the discomfort, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So in, in finding, working with us, working with ourselves first with this yeah. to say what are what are the things that actually make me feel uncomfortable and sometimes in my in my classes I I really like making people feel uncomfortable sometimes a little bit because because if we don't um, approach that space, if we never approach that space of discomfort, how much can we really grow? Mm -hmm. If we never approach that space of discomfort when we're moving to another level of training, are we really, are we really growing in our training? Right. Are we really progressing? So you're taking that uh, example of the hands being Me. cold as an, and you're creating an opportunity out of it. Creating an opportunity. Oh. And it's simply a shift in attention. So it's just using uh, attention differently, giving attention mm. differently. You know what we talked about before this camera stuff happened was the approach avoidance motivation, which actually, again, there's neural correlates of, mm -hmm. of approaching something and turning into it and then avoiding it. I, I don't, I, I don't want to deal with this right now. Right. There's there are neural correlates of which side of the brain lights up which each um, with each one each type of motivation. So again, if we can train ourselves, train our minds, just like we train our bodies to actually turn into the things that are a little more difficult and a little uncomfortable, mm -hmm. we can start to create a, a new relationship to those things that are a little bit uncomfortable, and that's where progression comes in terms of mental training. It's really powerful. So that we become more resilient. Yeah, absolutely. Resilient. Absolutely. This is really interesting. I have about 20 different thoughts going on at the same time of things that have come up from this. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really interesting that you're creating opportunity by shifting your attention. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense because that becomes, then you're actually exercising free will and a choice. and 
instead of dwelling in on the maybe what's kind of uh, habitually an old negative thinking pattern, mm -hmm. negative focus mm -hmm. or you know mm -hmm. a feeling an emotion that's mm -hmm. not positive, mm -hmm. you're turning it around. Right, and and in that turning it around, it does take you just went like this. And so it does take a, a picking up and a holding it here as opposed to like being it. So you can, you can be Carl and be mad about something or you can be Carl and be anxious or whatever the emotion or, or thought actually is. Or you can see that Carl is actually having this right, right now and allowing yourself another, another perspective gives you the choice. So if we are it and we're gripped by it, we don't necessarily have the choice. We just are our pain. We're defined by our pain. We're defined by our personality. We're defined by the natural tendency of the mind to be negative and to listen to only the negative comments that come on the, on the feedback list of things, not to actually hear. And, and so that takes training. That's the, that's the default mode. The default mode needs training. It needs a little tweaking. That just got me going. I'm just thinking about the whole definition, being defined by, which leads me to think about giving power to something. Mm -hmm. So you can take an experience like cold hands or just something unpleasant, and you can give it way too much power into giving you just a really bad day, mm -hmm. bad hour, bad week, whatever. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about it mm -hmm. like that, but that's to me that's super powerful super powerful stuff because, you know, one of my goals, I just decided when I leave here tonight, <laughs> I want to try to be aware of what I give power to. And I think there could be some really little things that I give power to that I'm not realizing how much power I give to those things. And see how I can change that power and turn it into something, um, if, if it's a negative thing or maybe maybe not even negative, just distracting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I can turn it into something good or positive, mm -hmm. productive, mm -hmm. and not have not allow it to define me or give me give uh, have that power over me. Mm -hmm. The way I um, another way of saying it um, is it draining you of energy. So what yeah. we what we talked about earlier in terms of autonomic balance yeah. um, and 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 sometimes we're not really that good. Just like we're not we need to train our thinking patterns. We also have become a soul, a, a, a society and culture. I was trying to put those two words together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of 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 exhaustion. So yeah. again, is is this something that is is draining me and depleting me, or is this something that is is feeding me and feeding my creative nature or my my ability to focus or whatever it, that external goal actually might be for you? So how am I using it? Yeah, that's a really good point. So a minute ago, you were talking, and I, I did this thing. When you said, is it draining you? And I went, well, that's because I was thinking of something that does drain me. And it's, it's related to work and people that I deal with. And actually, when I even see that there's an email or text from them, I don't even have to look at it, and I already feel energy just was taken from me. No, I'm actually allowing that, right? I'm giving them that power, mm -hmm. by giving the, the text that power. Mm -hmm. Nothing actually happened other than this thing shows up, an email, a text, but 
actually, this is really, really good. And I think uh, a lot of people hopefully can benefit because we are an exhausted society. How many of us are tired all the time and we don't have energy? And I can't help thinking that it leads to a lot of uh, health issues and, you know, I don't want to say mental health issues, but mental states that lead to other health issues Probably because the, the mental state might be, I, just, I can't work out today, I'm too depressed, and you don't work out, and then you never work out ever, and you eat poorly, I don't want to eat good today, I'm not going to eat well, so I'll eat crappy, and it turns into this perpetual thing, we're sick, chronic disease, and I think there's, I'm learning, there's more interconnectedness the more I look at it, people like you speak to these issues, there's more connection than I that I really have had any idea about. Mm. But that whole draining thing, that whole it just made me think like yeah. But sometimes I'll pick up the phone. And and I I want to applaud I don't want to feel that way. <laughs> I don't want you to feel that way either. So I have to not, I have to get I have to take control of that. Well, okay, so a couple couple things. One of them, the last one that you just mentioned, control. I'm gonna put that I'm gonna put that on the show for a second. But um but also where you were I wanted to applaud your ability to actually recognize this. Because what that actually took was <laughs> self-regulation, awareness of, of what's happening inside of you. And so do we need to be that hyper-focused to all these things all the time? No, absolutely not. We would drive ourselves absolutely insane. So yeah. that's, that's not the point that we're going to here. But we could all use a little dose of self-regulation, especially in those moments where we were talking about, oh, I don't want to work out. I just want to throw food down the hatch and, and get into my negative habitual patterns. So in these moments where it's really easy and we are kind of hyper-focused on self-regulation, this is why it's a practice, is so that when I am in, why, when I'm in a moment of being gripped by the depression, the emotion, and again, it may be not to a clinical degree, but just like, I don't feel like it because I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, so when we're in that moment, again, can we, this is when practice Practice actually comes to the table it, to use it to say, okay, I recognize that I don't want to do this right now, and then exploring exploring around that. So, um, in terms of en energetic drain um, and seeing something right, seeing seeing someone that you know that you've that you've created a relationship with. And because of your history with this person, you know that it's going to drain your energy. What if it's not going to this time? So how can we meet this text message as if we're meeting it for the first time? As if we're meeting this relationship for the first time? I, I've never seen you before. I don't know you. And so this is going to be a new relationship where I have a practice of presence so that I can be present to whatever arises. So that can teach me in the moment how I, what, what happens where I'm putting my focus. Am I putting my focus, and this is exactly what I talked about the teacher with, with the teacher today with the very difficult student, was am I trying to figure out the student? Is that the best placement of my attention in this moment? Or is the best placement of my attention in this moment actually a self-regulating moment to recognize that, ugh, 
this is just what happened. This is where I felt it inside of my body so that the next time that it comes, I see it coming and maybe I don't continue the negative spiral of, of behavior, whether it is losing energy from a, a text message, whether it is the very challenging for some people, many, many people to snap themselves out of um, the weekend, I, I cheat on the weekend situation, <laughs> right, right. or the I don't feel like going to the gym, I'm just going to take a break because it's snowing, etc. Interesting, yeah. Well, this, all this interconnectedness is, uh, well, I'm going to be watching this video because I want to hear what she has to say. I feel like I'm... And I need to take some notes, actually, seriously, because <laughs> yeah. it, it all just makes sense that there's more going on than, than we think about a lot of times. Little things, you know, we go to the doctor, and not, not to bash the doctor, it's not about bashing anybody, I, I, I don't do that. Um, but... There are doctors out there who are only focused on, well, you know, take this pill, mm -hmm. you know, cover up that mm -hmm. symptom, mm -hmm. uh, fix this problem temporarily, and then there's a side effect, take that one. Or there's so many different ways people deal with things, but I think they don't get to the source a lot of times. And for those who try to get to the source, I'm not even sure they get to the source because I don't know that that many people would look at it like you were looking at it, sharing with us today about just distraction being a part of your health mm. and how you can manage distraction to help manage anxiety, mm -hmm. to help manage attention, and all those things being connected into your overall health. Mm -hmm. And these can cause major problems, really, when you look at it. They do. It's amazing. Wow. Um, the control that I put on the shelf over here, I'm going to take it off the shelf and just speak to a moment of the, the pill prescribing community as well. Again, certainly our medical profession is one to be honored and, and upheld as all professions are. Um, but again, it's this, this need to control the outcome of things in any means, in any means possible. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I took a moment with the control and I'm not speaking so much of control as I am, um, it's a little bit of a lighter touch because when I need to control something, I need to control this right here and I need to put this book right here and it needs to be this way and if it's not this way then it's going to be a problem mm -hmm. as opposed to well I could control it like that or I can be curious about about this book that has some Sanskrit in it and I can hold it with effort I can I can hold it I can hold it with effort that was pretty cool yeah that so, was really cool <laughs> So, cool. so I can hold this with effort rather than controlling this and placing this right here. So there's ways. So here is what's shaping and further shaping the relationship to whatever it is, whether it's pain, whether it's anxiety, whether it's a real metabolic problem, whether it's a real structural problem, whether it's a real health issue. Am I trying to control it or am I trying to hold it with effort and understand it and explore it so that I don't have my alarm amygdala firing in my nervous system overriding the entire system that I'm trying to manage. <laughs> my mind just went <laughs> No, really, seriously, because you could take anything and hold it, or you can try to control it. 
I have to think about this, but and, this is really super powerful. Yeah, I don't want to drop too much in. I mean, I know we've got a lot going on, but um, the last element of content that I want to put in here, because there's been a lot of content that has come up, and I actually, I, I really do feel quite firmly about minimizing the amount of content but maximizing the amount of exploration around mm -hmm. that content. So the last bit of content, just to organize what we've been talking about, this, um, this control side of things, there is a behavioral opposite to that which is eh, surrender. <laughs> and, and so I have these, these two, um, these two poles. And these make up social behavior, human behavior. And then on, on this axis over here, I have um, a, a loving or maybe that approaching. And then over here, I have that attack or maybe I have a little bit of withdrawal. Anyway, maybe a little bit more on this for the next video. Sure, but yeah. there's something called structural analysis of social behavior. And really all I want to focus on in this moment is this control and surrender axis. So uh, there are degrees of which we can control something and degrees to which we can surrender to that thing. Mm -hmm. And again, this is about creating a wise relationship to, to whatever that, that construct actually is. And there is another opportunity for us to explore what our own habit pattern is around difficult things. Our, it happened to be that our, the topic of our conversation was around pain and difficult things. Mm -hmm. But again, using that pain and difficult things to actually create an opportunity out of it. Mm -hmm. Creating that opportunity comes when we first are able to recognize really what our, what our pattern is and then to see if the pattern is actually productive and useful mm -hmm. or if maybe I can explore another way of doing it, which is not a matter of... Um, of Really listening to any, really listening to anything else other than than our our own internal wisdom, mm -hmm. because we all have it. It's a matter of whether we've chosen to place our attention. Choose or learn how to listen to it, maybe. Yeah. 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 That is so amazing. Everything is just. I have lots of uh, digesting to do and watch this a few times to absorb more. Cool. Yeah. I hope it wasn't too much information, uh, but... Not for me. Okay. <laughs> We're going to share it anyways because it's just great. Um, so, do you have any... Um, I didn't tell her I was going to ask her this question, but I'm going to ask... I also want to make sure that... Um, you visit her website, oneathleticmind.com. One the link will be on the screen. We're also going to put up a link to your Facebook page. Sure. We have the uh, One Athletic Mind Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have any takeaway message, like one maybe just general takeaway message that you would like to leave people with? Yes. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that. Coming full circle. Attention is limited. Mm -hmm. Be wise in how you choose to invest your attention. That sums it all up right there. Oh my god. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, Jordan, again, always amazing. You were yeah. 
the best, man. I just, I leave New York City, I see her, I, my head is spinning, you know, four hour drive just seems like it's 10 minutes because it's just, I'm, it's always, I learn so much. So I really, really appreciate this. Well, I thank you for investing your attention into these moments. It's, it's, a, it's just great, great stuff, great information. Um, you know, it helps me a lot. Good. So, of course, if I feel good about it, I want everyone else to know about it. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, we have, our audience is growing, and we've gotten some really nice feedback on the first video, and I know people are going to find this very interesting. So. Wonderful. And we'll do it again sometime soon. All right? Sounds good. So be sure to check out her website. It's oneathleticmind.com. And then you also see the Facebook link for her site. And be sure to check out hunzahealthy.com. All these links are going on during the whole video. So thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.